Blog Talk Radio. It's no secret that the incarceration rate in America has skyrocketed since the 1970s. But did you know the number of women behind bars has grown nearly twice the rate of men in recent years? Why are we locking up so many women? The war on drugs has a lot to do with it. In the 80s, crack was the culprit. Thousands of African-American women were caught up in the system, many because of the so-called girlfriend problem, where a woman would take the brunt of the charges when she unknowingly assisted a boyfriend or relative committing a drug crime. But even as prison sentences for crack became less harsh, the number of women prisoners kept rising between 1980 and 2010. Why? The war on drugs has newfound battlefields. Crackdowns on methamphetamines are ensnaring predominantly white, rural women in much the same way. Oklahoma, which has more meth labs than any other state, also has the highest female incarceration rate per capita in the world. Between 2000 and 2008, 34% of women prisoners were locked up for meth-related offenses, and 80% are in for nonviolent offenses. Prison terms can be destructive to anyone, but when you lock women up, it is especially harmful on families. One in ten women are pregnant while in prison, and these women get inadequate prenatal care. More than 70% of incarcerated women in state prisons are also the primary caretakers of at least two minors, displacing millions of children into foster care or other unstable situations. This helps perpetuate the cycle of crime, as children of incarcerated parents are five times more likely than their peers to commit crimes. We have alternatives to incarceration. We can change our drug laws, and we can take into account the needs of children during sentencing. We have options. We don't have to put more women behind bars than any other country on earth. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where... Tonight we continue a troubling conversation, but one that has to be had. Voices from Behind the Wall continues as we really uncover the abuse, the killing, the murders, the rape, every type of violence you can imagine happening in America's prisons and jails across this nation. The show takes off right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and Samson Riddle. And uh, we're happy tonight to be having this conversation again as we uh, tell you what, folks, the response on social media in regards to this topic has been overwhelming. Uh, folks are calling from all over the country that has, actually have loved ones in these facilities across this country, and they're talking about uh, voices from behind the wall, and it's becoming very, uh, very much Uh, a conversation that is being had right now. Feel free, folks, tonight to dial in to 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. And, William, as we get ready for this, again, uh, Petra of information, if you will, uh, this is troubling every time we we, we actually uh, put on the headsets and get to the mic as these stories continue uh, to come in uh, in in high volumes. Yes, you know, this is... It's needful that we listen as a community, uh, understand what's going on right now. I mean, last year we had lady talked about such a horrific, her experience at Rikers Island and how she was basically violated by other women 
Uh, we've heard stories of, of women fighting at Rikers Island, and, and we'll continue to, to expose more and more of this. But the main thing is our, our listeners need to understand we're not reading this from some kind of fiction. These are real, true accounts that, we, that we're talking about. We're talking about these situations because this is the reality of the justice system. We spent quite a number of episodes talking about uh, our shows talking about wrongfully convicted. Now we're looking at behind the walls. Think about your loved one that is wrongfully convicted. Now what they're exposed to while they're in prison, you know, from poor health care, poor food, situations where it's just violent, violent uh, behavior from inmates and from guards. So you got a lot of things that's going on here when you talk about your loved one that is behind the wall. It's terrible. No, absolutely right. Samson, your thoughts, you've kind of gotten in and, and – and get in the conversation last week, really a tearjerker here and a heart-wrenching stories that we heard could not sometimes in many cases hold back the tears as these stories unfold. Your thoughts and your perspective, how important is it to get this message out? I think it's vitally important. Uh, to be honest, I mean, what, what something Cliff mentioned last week as far as, um, you know, they're there to serve. They've served their sentence. You know, their sentence is their punishment. What these men, women, especially these women are seeing behind the wall here. You know, um, I can only imagine, like, just the, the travesty and miscarriage of justice that these women are having to suffer. And they're suffering not only at the hands of other inmates, but they're also suffering at the hands of guards. I mean, we have stories in front of us, and, and we you can read the articles where women are being raped by the people that are supposed to be just there to protect them and, and serve them and keep them safe, you know, behind the wall. They're there just to, the guards should be just making sure they're there to serve their sentence and do their time, pay their debt to society. But no, they're tur- the guards are turning into rapists, they're turning into, you know, offenders, and they're taking advantage of these women, or they're not giving them the help and the care that they need. And I just think it's, it's absolutely horrific. No, absolutely right. And we're going to get into all of that conversation, folks, here shortly. Again, feel free to dial into 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. And uh, on the other side of the break, we're going to come back. Uh, our, our friend, uh, Kathy Morris, is going to be joining us at about uh, 15 to the out, top of the hour uh, giving more information. Uh, I mean, she has a, a, a huge amount of information. Uh, I witnessed things that she witnessed regarding the abuse of women behind these uh, walls. We're going to talk to her. Um, and also uh, join us next Tuesday. Uh, we will be talking about the refusal of medical care in these prisons, how folks are dying and becoming deathly ill for one reason, medical treatment being refused uh, in America's prisons and the, and the consequences uh, of that. And we're going to be dealing with that on next Tuesday's program. Tell your friends, family, everybody to tune into that as we continue Voices from Behind the Wall. One quick note, uh, there's a new initiative that Just Calls uh, is actually going to be a part of. It's called the Oasis of Hope, uh, and it is an opportunity to deal with the homeless situation in our community uh, by a vision uh, and a heartfelt uh, feeling to help and make a difference by Colorado Springs Fellowship and Pastor Rose Banks, uh, who had this really on her heart uh, to do something to make a difference. The Oasis of Hope uh, will be a facility uh, that some folks who are in transition, and it'll be a transition facility where those folks who are in transition, you know, whether they lost their job, whatever brought them to the point of being homeless, as they try to return uh, to society in a productive manner. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, if you got any questions that we're looking for folks to get involved with that initiative, again, contact the Just Cause 
uh, and we will give you more information. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side of that break, we're coming back. Voices from behind the wall, the abuse in women's prison, prisons and jails across this nation. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs I hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well because they're not here with their families. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault, 
It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio as we continue our discussion on voices from behind the wall. And something that definitely needs to be discussed. Dennis, your thoughts as we continue this profile. Exactly. Uh, as you guys were talking earlier, I was thinking about, you know, we're, we've been talking about this for a while. And, I mean, it's, it's truly indeed a, a serious, uh, uh, something serious we need to talk about. But, again, we want to make sure our listeners, though, as you're listening, uh, th- when you're thinking about voting, when you get out there, think about, because uh, it's coming up. You're going to be voting for sheriffs. You're going to be voting for attorney, attorneys. Uh, you're going to be voting for a lot of uh, officials. And these officials, we want to make sure that they are, uh, you know, uh, for uh, prison reform. And we want to make sure that you guys uh, really look at those that you're going to vote for. If they're, if they're all about, you know, tough stance on uh, crime and all this good stuff, that's all good. Uh, we, we believe in that, too. Uh, but we also we want to get those officials in office uh, that are about prison reform that are about doing things right, about changing things around uh, and doing the right thing. So, again, uh, we're going to continue uh, to, to open eyes and, and to bring it out to, to the communities that uh, we have a problem in our justice system and in our prisons. And the only way we're going to fix it is that we get out there and vote and we get out there and show, you know, let people know that, hey, uh, we, we, we want to change and, we, and, and together we can make a change. Oh, absolutely right. And again, folks, you have to get involved. If this was your mother, your sister, 
and, and of course, we've dealt with abuse across the board, men and women alike. We're just focusing tonight uh, on the conclusion of the, the abuse of women in these prisons, in these county jails. Why are people dying in custody of county jail? Why are women being uh, uh, handcuffed in county jail while giving birth to their children? Uh, un- unbelievable to me. It's inhumane. Um, and, and do the research that we've done, it is even said that uh, the, the baby themselves can be harmed as a result of the positioning of the woman as she tries to give birth restrained. Uh, now you're, you're, you're affecting the, the unborn child there that's trying to come into this world. Uh, major complications from nonsense and regulations that simply are insane. Insane. I'm going to play a clip right now. Talking about pregnant women shackled while giving birth.
the end of 2008, and she wasn't indicted until January of 2010. What was she indicted for? She was indicted for um, false information to a police officer. She gave a false name to the traffic violation, which was parking in her parking zone. She was given three years in prison, two What's the criminal history like? The petty larceny in 2008. She was given two years for the signing of a, a public document, which was the traffic ticket for parking in an apartment zone, and 12 months for false information to a police officer. Um, April of 2010, my daughter went into uh, labor. She was full term, 40 weeks. Um, she was in the Rappahannock Regional Jail in Stafford County, Virginia and she was taken to Mary Washington Hospital. She was put into all four points of restraint to deliver my nine pound, 10 ounce grandson with an umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. The nurses and the doctor told the guard to remove the restraint and the guard said no. The commanding officers told him that he was leaving. My grandson is 22 months old now and my daughter is so devastated to this. She will never get back. None of us will. And there's nowhere she could have gone at 40 weeks pregnant carrying an almost 10 pound baby. She's not, there's never any history of violence in the Rappahannock before the Rappahannock. It was that guard's discretion that they allowed him to use even against the nurse and the doctor's recommendation to remove. Thank you for being here, sharing your story. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Uh, this is barbaric. This is absolutely barbaric. And the fact that any state would allow such action. Uh, whether it's uh, a federal prison, whether it's a state prison, whether it's county jail. I'm trying to figure out the logic behind shackling a woman to a not a not a real hospital bed. What the, what they call a, a, a some sort of table that they're laying on. And one lady actually gave birth on the floor in her in her jail cell. A woman gave birth in Texas in a jail cell. She claims guards did nothing to help her. A woman who gave birth in a North Texas jail said guards refused to help her through her delivery. Shea Bear gave birth to her son, Cash, in an Ellis County jail cell in Waxenachi uh, uh, on Thursday. She states here, I delivered a one-pound, two-ounce baby in the single cell, screaming for hours, begging them to come and help me. Bear told news station WFAA-TV, the guards would walk by and tell me they wouldn't do nothing for me until I had that baby in that cell. An unarmed law enforcement official told WFAA-TV that investigators believe she induced herself to give birth. Bear, who was about five months pregnant at the time of giving birth, denied the accusation. The Texas Rangers are investigating Cash's birth and said in a statement, the investigation is ongoing and no additional information will be released. Uh, Regular... Uh, cover-up answer, not wanting to take responsibility. A 2018 report from Texas Criminal Justice Coalition claims Texas has more total women behind bars than any other state. Of the women who are incarcerated in Texas, 81% of them are mothers. 
Some 64% of the women in Texas prisons are incarcerated for a nonviolent offense, mostly drug, drug possession or delivery. Women are also filing more, uh, filling more prisons with each passing decade. So you have these women who are coming into prison or county jail simply with a drug charge, not, not any type of thing that's violent. And you mean to tell me there's no care given for these pregnant women who are there? As we go further to, the, to what we have learned through our investigation and for this show, these women, some of these women are simply there on misdemeanors. And they're not given vitamins. They're not given. So basically, you're, you're killing that child because you're affecting the child because the child is not going to be able to grow without all the things that are needed for pregnancy. And it tells me if they're going into jail for these nonviolent offenses, there has to be an alternative. When a woman is five months pregnant, she's laying on the floor screaming because she's in pain. And you say, we're not going to do nothing for you till you have the baby on the cell floor. And what I want to know, how does a woman locked up in jail, they're accusing her of inducing her own labor. How exactly do you do that? Does she have some, uh, she's got some special medical training and the drugs available that she needs to induce labor at five months? How, how do they even come up with that? And then the the uh, the second issue, um, when when uh, when this this officer was doing the interview, he's saying that what what people are telling him is that no, I was I was told by one person shackle her, then I was told by another person don't don't shackle her. Where is the actual policy of this institution set out by the warden or whoever is controlling the jail that? This is the policy of how you deal with a pregnant woman that is going into labor. Where's that information at? Where they're saying, well, hey, my uh, one officer told me to do it this way. One told me to do another. These are the type of things that there, there has to be a written policy in place that is, that is followed. There's, that training is in place for these corrections officers that when it comes down to it, there is no arbitration on what should have happened. That way you know exactly what should have happened. And then if somebody went outside those boundaries, you know that this is a retribution for you not doing your job or not following policy. It can't just be, well, my, my supervisor told me to shackle her, so I did. Or my supervisor told me to, to lay on her neck while she's in, in uh, labor, so I did. Those are the things that need to be uh, corrected in these, in these facilities so that the families know this is what should have happened. Now they're trying to figure out, well, how should she have been treated? Should, it, should she be shackled? Should she not be shackled? Obviously, you don't shackle a woman going into labor. That makes no sense whatsoever. But the policy has to be in place to tell these officers what they should do. Then when you have one go outside those bounds, you know how to prosecute it. No, absolutely right. William, I, I, you know, I agree with what you say, Cliff, but I think that's one thing that's, that's missing here is just common sense. I mean, you know, you know, if a woman's sitting here having a baby, any man that's been in there with their wife, as if you watch this, this is a situation where she's not getting ready to get up and run. She's not, she's not a threat to do anything. This woman is having a child, and, and for a woman to, to be there in a cell on a hard floor giving birth to a, to a five-month-old baby – I agree with 100% what you said. How in the world can she induce, oh. you know, and, and this is the thing that's so ridiculous, but where's the common sense and, and some kind of decency that says, you know what, 
she is not a threat right now. She's not a threat in this situation. Why would you, you know, introduce added stress by shackling her? You, you're already taking these stressful situations where you're trying to bring this baby into this world, and now you're shackling the mother, adding more stress, and this makes a, a already unhealthy situation even worse. Well, well let's, let's be clear. Sam said them to you. This is a concrete floor. Non-sterile. This is a concrete floor that you are bringing a baby into this world. Then let me tell you something. This goes back to what Kathy made it very clear. Our guest will be joining us here shortly. It is the culture of abuse. This is a culture of inhumane treatment in our jails, in our prisons. When you have women, again, you're in county jail. You have not been convicted of one crime. You're in there on a misdemeanor drug case or a DUI or whatever it might be, and you have a woman on a floor trying to give birth to a child. There's nothing. It is a culture of, of barbaric action. This is sex at its, at its highest level. That's what it is. But this is why they, know they don't have a voice. Why don't they have a voice? Because you say, well, it's not, it's not fair. They don't, the people, not all of them, some of these people do not care. They're there to punish you. They don't like the fact that you're even there. And the guard to walk by, as Cliff alluded to, to say, you're going to stay on the floor until you have that kid. We're not helping you with nothing. That is a problem, and it is a culture of abuse in this country. And absolutely. I mean, and the, the, the thing that's even more barbaric to me is like, what about these children? Okay, now you have one lady on, on the clip that was giving birth to like a nine, 10 pound child. Okay, that's a healthy baby by anybody's standards. But you look at this case right here, we have a one pound, two ounce premature child. In any other situation, you would have a team of doctors and nurses and NICU specialists running around making sure that this child survives and is given every opportunity. But here we have this animal of a guard that's not letting, you know, not offering any form of assistance whatsoever, and just basically is treating her like some animal in a stall, saying, "Hey, you're not going to get any help until you deliver that baby." Well, what if there's complications? What if there's? I mean, anybody that's ever been there, you know, when any of their children are born, you know, there are a million and one things that can happen. There are tons of complications that can and do happen. But they're, they're just going to treat it like some beast in a cell. And that's, you know, I, I agree with you, Sam. It, it's un, again, people do not know this. They do not know because they would be equally as outraged as we are. That's why we will continue to be that voice. We have women. They said more women have been incarcerated today than has ever been. And a lot of these women are, you know, as you're going to learn more on this show, are pregnant going into incarceration. Pregnant. And what happens if they don't pass a certain level where there's some places that have what they call baby dorms, you're going to hear more about that during the show, where a child is incarcerated with the mother or they're taken to foster care. So I have to raise a child versus having an alternative for some of these women to put them in a, put them in a place, put them ankle monitor them, let them raise their kids. Let, sometimes kids are a motivation for a lot of these inmates to change, to turn the corner, to do the right thing. Why don't we exhaust those efforts versus putting them in a dungeon? Because that's all it is, a dungeon. And babies should not have to suffer the consequence of being in, in prison, raised in prison, uh, or going to foster care is the other alternative. It's absolutely insane to me. We'll play another clip, but this is the clip I was sharing with you regarding the lady who gave birth 
on the cell floor. Let's see what it has to say. Surveillance video from inside a Michigan jail shows an inmate giving birth on the floor of her cell after she claims her requests to go to the hospital were ignored. Just didn't have to happen. That's really what blows my mind. Jessica Preston says she was arrested for driving with a suspended license and then couldn't make the $10,000 cash bond to get released. She was eight months pregnant at the time and says the staff at the Macomb County Jail didn't believe her when she told them she was in labor. They told me to knock my crap off, stop lying to them. They could put another charge on me if I, if I kept lying to them. She says she was taken to the infirmary and returned to her cell twice, but then she started bleeding. She claims she was told it was too late for them to take her to the hospital by then, and the staff told her to start pushing. I was scared. I, I mean, I, I was terrified. I was so worried for, for both of us that, that either one of us could, could catch something and, you know, that would be life threatening. She also says she had to have a C-section during her last pregnancy because of complications, which added to her fear. Baby Elijah was born in jail weighing less than five pounds. My son was born in a jail cell and then got wrapped up with a dirty sheet off the floor. We're all human beings and need to be treated as such. But the sheriff says his staff did the right thing. 100% that uh, our people did what they needed to do. At some point, she probably would have been sent to the hospital, but the baby came before that happened. Today, Elijah is almost a year old and is healthy. But Preston says she still doesn't believe his birth had to happen the way it did. I know he said that they were holding me because I had, you know, prior warrants. Okay, yeah, you're right, I did. But what does that have to do with taking me to the hospital when I'm in labor? Oh, there you have it. Uh, and I agree with the young lady there, the inmate, states, well, she had prior warrants. And she states, well, what does that have to do with me getting medical care? Whether I have a warrant or not, I'm going into labor. And why was, not, why was she not given the care she needed in, in regards to giving birth uh, is, is unimaginable. Uh, Cliff, we have a caller. Yes, we have uh, J.D. from Colorado has a comment. And J.D., you're live. Hello, I was calling to talk about uh, the county jail. Um, they I was in the county jail for contempt of court, and when I was in there, uh, they would not allow me to have any medical treatment, okay? They said I had to wait. I had to wait to, to write to somebody or get something done, and that was it. Also, while I was in there, there was a priest that came in there, and they were talking to me, and they said for the babies, Colorado's, Especially Colorado. I mean, she, she lived in Colorado, so I don't think she know about every other place. But when they take the babies, they sell the babies. So you they said they the foster care. That's what I was told. Okay. And that was and while I was in the county jail here in Colorado. And that would be the criminal justice center here in Colorado Springs. Correct, it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, uh, but these are the things that happen, and if a lot of the kids that go in the foster care, some mothers are in and out of the, the county jail or going into court for something. They're trying to get, get that baby and trying to make sure nobody else can get it. 
and mm-hmm. they so they can pass it off to a foster mother that's looking for a baby. No, absolutely right. And uh, Jay, thanks for your call. Uh, JD, thanks for your call. Uh, we appreciate that. And look, it, it's reality, and it's it, it's in our own backyard here. Uh, the abuses that happen in this prison. I I, I was told a story uh, by a friend of mine who was who was in county jail. Uh, and she said there was a young lady next door to her, and she was hemorrhaging, uh, which means she was miscarrying that baby. Uh, they laughed at her and told her to get in the bed, get a, here's a couple of aspirin, and go lay down, quit faking, quit doing this and that. But the lady was hemorrhaging to death uh, and as far as miscarrying that child. And, again, I, t- I tell you this, this is a culture. This is how things are done uh, and again, we're not saying every officer, every person is, is, is doing these things, but it is at such a level now uh, until it continues uh, to spiral out of control. We're going to take a quick break, folks. We're going to come back and continue the discussion. Feel free to dial in to 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. As we talk about voices from behind the wall and the abuse happening in women's prisons across this nation. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 525-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Our criminal justice system is really violating our values as a people. Uh, we are, as a nation, have this land of the free, uh, this nation that, that uh, savors liberty and those ideals, really, that were lights into the globe, uh, now incarcerates more human beings than any other nation on the planet. Like any system, it always needs refining adjustments, and I think that's where we are now. Um, As far as policing is concerned, I think 
policing in America has done a very effective job over the last uh, two decades because crime is down. Crime is down significantly throughout the country, with some exceptions. Um, and I attribute that to smarter policing, better policing, more effective policing, proactive policing. Policing is in some sense a victim of its own success in the following sense. And that is that crime rates have plummeted in the last 30 years. At the same time, public support, public trust, um, public confidence in policing over the same time period has remained flat. The public actually cares a great deal more about how they are treated uh, by public authorities, legal authorities, than they care about the effectiveness of police. My first experience getting uh, hit with tear gas and rubber bullets was on August the 12th, uh, which really radicalized me in a way to want to pursue uh, reform efforts, not only just in Ferguson, but all throughout St. Louis and the entire country. Because, you know, the experience of getting tear gas and hit with rubber bullets was so unbelievable. You know, I, I couldn't imagine something like that could happen in modern day America. If your intention is to, you know, jail massive numbers of people, if you believe that, you know, our prison uh, is an effective means of dealing with the myriad uh, social needs of the African-American community, then, then, then it's pretty effective. Now, I know no one would come out and say something like that. You know, that, that sounds insane. Um, but in fact, there's a long history in this country of dealing uh, with problems in the African-American community through criminal justice system, criminalizing social problems in a way that we don't do in other communities. There are about 140,000 people uh, in the United States who are serving life without parole sentences. The number of people serving life without parole sentences in Western Europe is 12. These very long sentences uh, that are being served is a very unusual feature of American criminal justice. They serve very little public safety effect. Really good study shows that we'd have probably 20% less poverty in the United States if we weren't over-incarcerating at the rate that we are because it has such an impact on people's future earnings when they get out of prison, has an impact on their children uh, and their overall quality of life uh, for their families. But in addition to all that, uh, it is uh, disproportionately punishing minorities in this country as well. There's no difference between blacks and whites for using drugs or even dealing drugs. But yet African-Americans are about almost four times more likely to be arrested for that. Well, I, I think our criminal justice system um, is working as intended. Um, it is only broken to the extent that our, our society is broken. These tragedies have to stop. There must be accountability. Black, white, brown. We are one. We are one. One. We will not stick to sports. We will not shut up and dribble. This is bigger than basketball. Change can be uncomfortable. Change is necessary. We need to talk. We need to act. We matter. We must unite. Say his name. Stephon Clark. Stephon Clark. We must unite. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio. Tonight as we continue, Voices from Behind the Wall, uh, tragic, tragic, tragic. That's the only adjective that I can give it. Horrible, whatever you can say here, the culture of this country, the culture of this nation, and the abuse of women in prisons 
all across this country. Who's going to rise up and call out those that inflict this type of pain and abuse? Who will rise up and be the voice of the voiceless? AJC Radio just calls is that voice. But we need your voice to get to, to rise up and to speak out against this type of abuse. And this is something that is troubling, but perhaps people in this country live in some fairy tale belief that our system is the best in the world. It's absolutely not. The criminal justice system in this nation has decayed. And numbers and numbers of people continue to die behind the wall. They suffer. Our, these women are suffering from refusal of medical care, which we're going to be getting to that in detail on next Tuesday. I mean, but the fact that you got county jail deputies allowing women to, to lay on a concrete floor and give birth without any consideration that this is a human being here. This is somebody's mother, their aunt, their sister, and we turn and they walk by and they laugh, not all of them, but to those that abuse the badge in which they wear, whether it's a correctional officer, whether it's a deputy sheriff, you have abused the badge in which you wear to protect. What is the problem in this country? That we sit idly by as citizens and say, well, that's just the way it is? Do we turn a blind eye as people continue to die? Dennis, your thoughts? I hope, I hope we don't. I mean, again, we got to do uh, like exactly what you said. I mean, the whole purpose of this show is to enlighten our, our uh, listeners and to let them know, I mean, together we can accomplish much. But if we just uh, continue to be quiet and, and say nothing uh, to the horrific things that are taking place in our prisons, uh, it's going to continue to get worse. But if we come together and we start uh, getting out there and vote, I can't push that enough. I know you, you guys might be saying, hey, you constantly push that. But that's how we make changes. Uh, we make changes with our voice. We make changes uh, when we get out there and we all come together and we protest. We do all these different things. We take advantage of social media. And again, this show, I mean, this is how we make a difference. And the only way we're going to do that is if we come together, work as a team, and say enough is enough. Oh, absolutely right. And, and it's, it's troubling enough. Uh, it's just, and these, here's what's crazy. We have very limited amount of stories that we're telling. What are the true numbers? Every single day, someone is being assaulted in prisons across this country. Someone is being beaten in prisons and in jails. People are dying. People are scared. They're getting locked up in solitary confinement without a cause. And we sit by and do nothing. We say nothing. Then we are complicit in that abuse if we remain silent. Samson, your thoughts? Absolutely. And it's like, as I'm sitting here just listening to everything that's going on, it's like, you know, I think about what our country was founded to be and what it is today, and we're a far cry from where, where we should be. I mean, you, you listen to the preamble. It says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, 
You're talking about that's the first few sentences of what our country was founded on. And now we here we have a society where people are afraid to speak out, afraid to take a stand for their neighbor because they don't want to do anything until it becomes personal. When it becomes personal, then that's when they want to speak. We, we, we've lost our empathy as a society. We've lost that, that drive to, you know, lift your neighbor up, to, to, to help one another out, and to cry out for those. You know, whenever you see injustice, stop being quiet as a society. Stop being quiet as a people and letting stuff just go by and being idle and just sitting there on your comfortable seat and actually take a stand for those that can't, t- that can't stand for themselves. These children that are being born in these prisons and jails and other, you know, uh, places where these people are being held, like they don't have a voice and their parent that's incarcerated doesn't have a voice either. So who's going to speak out for them? Oh, absolutely right. It's absolutely the Shane County Jail showed evil motive in 21-year-old woman's death, family says, in newly filed lawsuit. Complaint says, lacks health policies. Staff training contributed to Madison Jensen's December demise just days after arrest. The family of a woman who died after becoming dehydrated in the Duchesne County Jail in December is suing the county over her death. Madison Jensen was 21 years old when she died. On the fourth day after being arrested for testing positive for heroin and marijuana, her family had called deputies to their home after she had a suicidal episode in late November. Over her five days in custody, Jensen vomited, couldn't eat or drink, and pleaded for help as she lost at least 17 pounds before dying behind bars. The Tribune has found. The lawsuit alleges Jensen was denied medical attention at least once because there was no one in the jail who could provide it. The jail did not have any medical personnel on staff that could administer intravenous fluids to treat Madison's severe and obvious dehydration. According to the lawsuit filed Thursday in federal court in Salt Lake City, the suit says jailers' conduct was motivated by evil motive or intent and are involved reckless or callous indifference to the civil rights of Madison. 21 years old. This is my question. What was she doing locked up in county jail if she was suffering from a drug problem? Where was the treatment? You're telling me there was not one medical staff on duty to treat a, a kid 21 years old? See, I don't I don't know what it is. It was like you can see like there there are places there are society or buildings, clinics and everything like that where any junkie off the street can go in there and get care for free you know to to help them with whatever addiction whatever problem they have the only difference between them and this young lady that actually needed that kind of help and needed that assistance right away is because one's behind bars and one's not one's been convicted of something and the other hasn't and the fact is it's just it's absolutely pathetic the fact that just yes somebody did something wrong and yes they have to pay their debt to society but that doesn't mean they, they get treated like animals so the problem here She's in county jail. She hasn't been convicted of anything. Right. You're absolutely right. So the culture here, the minute I put handcuffs on an individual in the mind of our society, they're guilty. Absolutely, yep. And the abuse starts right there. Has nothing to do with the fact, oh, you're presumed innocent. Nothing to do with it. We learned that from Rikers. We learned that from, is it Khalid Browder? Yep. Never was charged with a crime. 
and spent three years at Rikers. And was tortured to the level that after he got out, they released him with no charges. They were getting ready to arrest him for a backpack, a stolen backpack. And he was so afraid of going back. He hangs himself outside on the side of the house with an air conditioner cord as his body banged up against the wall as his mother heard it and found her son hung to death. What is the problem in this nation? This is the sickest of sick situations in this country. And we're going to, I tell you what, at Just Calls, ADC Radio will not stop until we expose this type of inhumane abuse on a day-to-day basis. And this was so tragic and what makes it so sad is that it actually is happening every single day. We just ain't heard about it yet. That's true. It's happening every day. And I'll tell you what, we're going to deal with these issues. We're very very, uh, honored, if you will, to bring back our friend and advocate, Kathy Morris, to this program as we continue this discussion. That is the most troubling discussion that we continually have. Kathy, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good evening, everybody. Hello there. And, and Kathy, thanks for coming back. Uh, you have so much information. Uh, we're talking about the, the abuse of women still and uh, got off on uh, Khalif Browder. And, and this, mm-hmm. this is just some troubling stuff that I'll tell you, it'll take your sleep away at night. It'll take it away. And we're talking about these women being abused. And uh, we have juvenile, people in juvenile detention centers, teenagers being raped by correctional officers, teens. I mean, you're talking about destroying lives, man. Who is going to be held accountable for these actions? Well, that's why with down in Florida, the uh, United States Department of Justice is down there for the next two weeks, um, speaking to the families and speaking to the directly impacted ladies. I should say girls. Um, they're teenagers and adolescents. They were impacted by the abuse at the hands of the staff. And it's unfortunate it had to come to that, um, but that's the point that it has reached. Um, and they will be down there, I believe it's next week, um, mm-hmm. for the facility known as Lowell. But what they are is they're encouraging and they're asking any family members with a family, you know, who have a family member or a spouse or a friend even who is incarcerated within the system in Florida to please make every effort to attend, to attend this meeting so that they can get their names and that they can further investigate. They are actually going into the prison. They are speaking to the the women who were involved, as well as interviewing their families. The okay. families at this point do not feel comfortable in coming public with this mm-hmm. for fear of retribution against them and their daughters. Mm-hmm. Well, it's 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 that it's that tense of a situation. I can tell you, um, cool. I know it's been going on. Well, I mean, th- these are things that. 
it's just uncomprehendable. I'm going to play a clip real quick uh, for you, Kathy. I'm going to get your thoughts on it. And this is regarding physical and sexual abuse in a juvenile, in juvenile detention centers. You're talking about our most vulnerable of society, which are our youngsters. Mm-hmm. To go into a place, those were designed initially to help uh, hopefully correct the behavior of children. But we have felt we've fallen so far off the track with that. Now kids are going into these juvenile detention centers and they are not safe. And they come out worse mentally, emotionally than they were. I mean, just imagine young girls having to endure correctional officers raping. It, 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 it just is it, it's heartbreaking. I'm going to play the clip, Kathy, and I'm going to come back and get your thoughts. A CNN original story for you now. We have been profiling a former teen inmate who claims she was abused while behind bars, and apparently her case is not isolated. CNN.com's Ashley Fance has the story. Girls as young as 13 say they were shackled for weeks at a time at a detention center in Mississippi. The reason, they say, to keep them from escaping. I went to school in shackles, used the bathroom in shackles, ate in shackles, and had to participate in recreation in shackles. Erica was 16 when she went to Columbia Training School. A runaway picked up for a probation violation. Erica and nine other girls are suing the state, saying they were physically and sexually abused there. In an affidavit filed with the suit, a 15-year-old girl housed at Columbia writes, He came inside my cell. He started touching me, and he tried to kiss me, grabbing me around my waist. He tried to stick his hands in my pants, and I started crying. I think they should be ashamed of themselves. Erica's mother wants answers. You don't treat... You don't treat people like that. You don't treat children like that. Mississippi is among 11 states the U.S. Justice Department has sued for civil rights violations at youth lockups. Although it's often been a case of he said, she said between officials and inmates, some surveillance video has captured scenes like this from Florida of 14-year-old Martin Anderson being beaten and restrained by guards who were later acquitted of manslaughter after Anderson died. This 2004 video shows staffers chasing and pummeling a teen inmate at a Stockton, California lockup. Recently, another investigation was launched into alleged violence between a guard and an inmate at the same facility. This spring, two former administrators at a Texas youth facility are expected to stand trial on charges they were having sex with teen inmates. One case among many in Texas where 90 state employees over the past eight years have been disciplined or fired for sexual misconduct with jailed adolescents. To address the problem, Texas has added hundreds more surveillance cameras and personnel. In Mississippi, the latest allegations of abuse at Columbia Training School come less than five years after a Justice Department probe that found girls had been hogtied, forced to eat vomit, and confined for days in a windowless isolation room. In Mississippi, the governor has ordered shut down Columbia Training School and all of its teenage female inmates transferred to a nearby detention facility. But the Department of Justice is suing that place also saying it has its own set of serious problems. Girls will be sent to Oakley Training School, which the Justice Department said still needs an enormous amount of work. 
Governor Haley Barber and state officials who oversee the facilities declined to be interviewed for this story. Very glad Columbia's closing. Very glad. It's sort of kind of like a relief because they put me and like six other girls through this and from their past lawsuits in 2004 all the way to now. How many girls have they made physically, emotionally abused? They owe my daughter and all these other girls. They owe an apology. CNN.com's Ashley Fant joins us right now. Pleased to have you, Ashley. Thank that you. was a fascinating report. Um, you have to tell us, first of all, how widespread is this? Is this essentially the norm in these institutions? I don't know if I would call it the norm, but if you look at the Department of Justice that is now currently suing 11 states where there are facilities like the one in Columbia, which was featured in the package, for a wide range of physical and sexual abuse of, uh, of teenagers who are incarcerated there. And it's not just abuse, it's a lack of medical care, it's a lack of mental health professionals who are in these places. I think also what you have is a combination of undertrained, underpaid staff, sometimes guards are making barely $19,000 a year, and there's also a culture of wanting to punish kids alone and not rehabilitate them and give them the therapy they need. It, it sounds like they're just not respected as fellow human beings. They're not. And oftentimes these girls are runaways. Um, they're from bad homes. They've been abused in the home and they have a host of mental health problems going into a facility. And you pair that with the fact that they're already obstinate. I mean, teenagers are generally obstinate. Right, exactly. But when you add this in with it, um, if you don't have the properly trained people to attack the problem, then it becomes really a battle between guards and inmates that often escalates into really severe violence. And you mentioned this has been going on since the 90s. That is a staggeringly long amount of time. Why was this able to continue for so long? Well, I mean, we've just gotten used to, I think, warehousing kids. We've gotten used to just throwing them away and uh, just throwing them in a cell and, uh, you know, doing the basic things like, you know, clothing and feeding them, but not really listening to what kind of problems they have or, you know, having enough mental health professionals who are willing to work in these kinds of settings. I mean, if you have a therapist who would rather be, you know, treating individual people who don't have these problems, why would they go work in a correctional facility? You know, there, it takes a really special person to do that. And um, states also just aren't willing to spend the money. I mean, to overhaul a system, it takes an enormous amount of time and a lot of money. And so states will often choose to slap a Band-Aid on it rather than to dismantle their systems altogether. Well, there you have it, folks. This stuff is hard to, to hear, to listen to these young girls being made to eat vomit off of the... Are you kidding me? The folks that allow this type of abuse need to be arrested. They need to be charged. This is criminal and for it to be go ignored and 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 we're talking about one place all over this united states of america these things are happening what would possess a person to make a young girl rape a young girl in a in a, in a detention center beat them and make them eat the vomit off of the predator 
power. A, a predator. This this is. I mean, we were we were just talking about this in previous shows. This is where the predators live. They go there. They abuse. They seek the opportunity to impose their will and just free for all on these people that are helpless. This is this is the reality that we're living. When you talk about a woman, a, a teenage girl, shackled in rooms, these, these enclosures, I think they said it was it, there was no windows or anything. The lady, the, the clip there, she was talking about, did she was doing everything in shackles, eating, oh. recess, bathroom, and now and then someone comes into her into her cell and wants to put his hands down her pants, wants to kiss her. So now you got sexual assault there. You got. You got all this stuff that's going on, but the vomit off the floor? Come on now. Kathy? Kathy, your thoughts? Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to deny it. Um last year I actually tutored adolescent girls ages twelve to seventeen. So I was in the facility. Um while I didn't see the extent of what you're talking about, um, I saw enough. Mm-hmm. I saw young girls, 13 years of age, who all they wanted to do was be cared for and loved by a mother. Mm-hmm. That's all they wanted. Um, and in some cases, they got so frustrated because they were not getting that, that that's how they acted out. Um, there were some young girls in there who were victims of sex trafficking, um, which is brutal in and of itself. Yes, it is. You know, um, some girls whose family said, you know, they went to the family court and said, we just, um, we don't know what to do with her. We can't have her in the house anymore. You know. Um, you know, and, and these matters are dealt through family courts. I mean, yeah, through family courts. They're not dealt with criminal courts. Um, you know, there's a cutoff line. And depending on how old the adolescent is and the seriousness of the crime is whether it will be a family court matter or it will be a criminal court matter. Now, New York just raised the age. So they are going through all of that as to whether, you know, who to keep on Rikers and who to move to this newer facility. And the way the law is written, um, there's going to be a lot of them who are going to be treated as juveniles, as kids, um, in a family court setting, which is much more what they need as opposed to going into a criminal court that's used to treating adults, um, because numerous studies have found that even though they're adolescents and you think that they're 17, 18, and 19 years old, their brain still continues to form. So by putting them in an adult situation, such as one that has solitary confinement and, and more abusive stuff than you would see in some of the juvenile facilities, they're not able to comprehend it. And that's the last thing that they need. Um, many of them have undiagnosed mental health issues as well. They have abuse issues at home in addition to that. 
So yeah. you're going to see this. And, and just like that fight club that they had done in Florida where the officers said, you know, here for a honey bun, I'll give you a honey bun if you fight so-and-so. And these kids, you know, they were starving and they just wanted any kind of attention and, and approval and acceptance. And this is what they were doing. And now that fight club is being investigated. I mean, yeah, fortunately, I, they broke it up, but it's it's gotten to the point now where it's being investigated. But it goes on, and it continues to go on. And it goes on not just in, in these isolated instances that we're talking about. It goes on in every state of this country. Oh, absolutely right, Kathy. I'm going to get more information from you. Um, Cliff, we have a caller. Yes, we have uh, June from Colorado has a comment. Uh, June, you're live. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I'm so thankful that you're uh, addressing the issues of uh, women in prison. It's things that so many of us don't even think about, don't know, because I'm sure I'm one of those who who didn't know about the horrific uh, treatment that uh, people go through that are behind bars. And this needs to get out. Everybody needs to listen to this so they can understand. And maybe more people will stand up and start fighting and uh, more light will be shed on this treatment. But I just wanted to thank you all for um, talking about this subject. Thank and you. Thank you for your call. We appreciate that. And, uh, Catherine, we're going to take a quick break. you have time to come back with us? Sure. All right, folks, this is AJC Radio. Voices from behind the wall. It gets tougher every day, every show. But we will be the voice for the voiceless. Our youngsters, our young ladies, who will answer the call and hold those accountable for this type of abuse in our prisons and detention centers across this nation. Where are the soldiers to fight this fight? This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. 
The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. Messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitudes towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say the prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true, tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit CSRXP.org. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. How may I help you? My husband and I just got in a fight, and he hit me. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The 
first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when they're in an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. On February 13, 2016, 13 days after arriving in the holding center, Cummings was under one-on-one observation. She was babbling to herself and peeing on the floor. The next day, she lay on the floor of her cell moaning, and she urinated on herself. On February 16th, she had a bowel movement on the floor of her cell. And there's no record that it was cleaned up that day. The medical review board said that afternoon she was seen smashing cereal on her body and on the floor and screaming, I have a sister. When a deputy arrived for a shift that began at 11 p.m. on February 16, 2016, Cummings was again naked and lying on the floor for sale on her bunk, crying. The deputy, according to the state report, called her sergeant, said something was wrong with Cummings and asked to have the cell cleaned. When a maintenance worker arrived, Cummings could barely stand. She had lost all her strength, the deputy told state investigators. Cummings was placed in a wheelchair and rolled to the medical unit. The state's narrative is redacted after that, but apparently Cummings suffered the medical event that a Howard spokesman at the time said led her to being rushed to Buffalo General Medical Center, the nearest hospital for dire emergencies. She died in Erie County Medical Center on February 21, 2016. A picture of a confused inmate in a mental tailspin emerges as the medical review board chronicles Cummings' last days. She refused medications, rejected several meals, and went long stretches of time, as much as 32 hours in one span without urinating. She seemed out of it and didn't act like she knew she was in jail, a jail deputy told a commission investigator. Unacceptable. This young lady died because nobody reached out and cared. If you see an inmate in a cell, urinating, sitting in her own feces, apparently disoriented, out of it, and you just walk past that cell and do nothing? You do nothing. You know, I mean, dogs, they're in their, they're in feces. They're going to clean that dog up. They're going to, they're going to do the right thing. But when it comes to 
these inmates, they treat them like animals. Worse. It's just, yeah, actually worse than animals. I'm talking about wild animals, animals that need to be uh, put down. But it's just a sad, sad thing that something like that could take place. And you can't tell me that there was not one guard that saw that this individual needed help. That you, you can't convince me that. Listen. And then for nothing to have happened, which I'm not sure. truly aware of, but I'm sure nothing happened. But Dennis, and to our listeners, to our team here, I know the protocol of county jail because I've been there doing my wrongful conviction. They are checked on continually. Supposed to be. Every guard has a round they must walk every hour. You're not telling me this lady sits there in her own. She's smashing herself, screaming. They automatically come to your door. What's the problem, inmate so-and-so? You ignored this woman. She was mentally unstable. Who knows what happened from staying in that cell as long as she was there? And you do nothing? Kathy, your thoughts? Kathy, are you with us? My, yeah, my thoughts. I lived it. Yes. I actually lived it. Um, there was a young woman who was um, detoxing. They weren't sure what it was she was detoxing on. So they stripped her of all of her clothing. They put her in the four-point restraints. Um, They threw a sheet over her and left her in the cell. And she was in there moaning and groaning. And, of course, because she couldn't get up to the bathroom, she urinated and defecated all over herself. Um, and this went on for a good five, six days. And then they finally allowed her to get up. And what they did was they came in with these power hoses to hose her down. Um, and while this was going on, she was calling out for her mother. The girl, the girl wasn't even 21. She had just had a baby within the last four months of this happening. Um, and she just kept calling out for her mother. So they got her in the shower to get rinsed off, and they told her, you know, she had to clean up herself. She didn't even, had no idea where she was, what she was doing. It was an effort for her to even stand and walk to the showers. And all she kept on doing is calling out for her mother. Um, it, It was heartbreaking. It was, it was, because you know, you as like me, as a mother, wants to reach out and do something. You want to help her, you know, bathe herself and and everything else. And we couldn't do it. We just had to sit there and watch this. This is Ed Rikers, correct? Mm-hmm. So this is county jail. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know? Do you know what her charges were? drugs so this is a young lady Mm -hmm. this is what is so tragic she has Mm -hmm. a problem she has a problem with drugs she had a problem with prescription medication 
Um, and she should never have been there. That was not the, the correct place for her. Exactly right. So you put this young lady, you spray her mm-hmm. with power hoses. She cannot stand. She's disoriented. Her mother? She's crying for her mother. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was mommy, please help me. Mommy, please help me. Make them stop. And we have the audacity to call up countries in question of their mm-hmm. human of human beings. This is the this is the most vile. And the, the what makes it so tragic. The abusers mm-hmm. hide behind a badge. Yes, absolutely. There was another. There was another instance of a girl who had been stabbed in her stomach, and the medical cleared her to come back into the general population, and she was still bleeding through the padding that they had given her, and she was laying on the floor in the bathroom. She should never have been brought back to a general population unit, and she was bleeding on the floor of the bathroom. And we were using um, sanitary pads to try and staunch the bleeding because they're actually one of the most absorbent things you can use. Um, and they also, they're also more clean than anything, you know, they're clean. Um, and we were saying to the officers, look, you've got to get her to, you've got to get her to medical. She's evidently bleeding. They didn't, they didn't close her up right. This isn't, you know, something is seriously wrong with this. Um, and they kept saying, yeah, we'll call, we'll call. And it must have been an hour or so later, you know, after we tried to clean this woman up as best we can. Now, mind you, we had no, like, we had no rubber gloves to use. We had no bleach. We had nothing. Um, and you have to be careful with that kind of stuff because you don't know what's Infection they may be carrying that's carried via fluids or blood. Absolutely. Yeah, we were willing to take we were willing to take that chance because you any human being cannot sit there and watch a, another suffer like that. It's un, it is uncomprehendable, Kathy. I salute you. You are a true hero in my opinion uh, to be the voice uh, of these women. And it is heart-wrenching. I mean, this is heart-wrenching. How does a guard stand there with a hose while a young girl cries for her mother? And you can... Her mother. And they they keep on telling her to shut up. And they keep turning the pressure on on the hoses. No, no, no compassion for anything, you know, not an iota of compassion for human life whatsoever. Not any compassion shown for somebody who is obviously struggling. This poor girl had an infant daughter at home. Um, She knew nothing about, you know, how that, that infant daughter was doing, nothing, any of that. So they just um, on Rockers Island. They, they yeah, and 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 I, this was a white girl they were doing this to. 
Mm-hmm. Those young white girls. Yeah, it just. You it, know, they, it, sorry, I'm sorry you know. to talk over you, Kathy, and I, and I know that you you've had to live this, and I mean, I'm just sitting here trying to wrap my mind around what these these ladies, these women, these girls, they all go through. I mean, you're talking about a pressure washer being used on a human being. These are the mm-hmm. things that go out there and they clean their driveways with. You're talking about pressure on concrete, and now they're putting that on mm-hmm. human skin. And not only that, you know, yeah. about the, the atrocious behavior of the guards and everything, but like, what are the medical staff doing? Why, why, why are they letting somebody that is obviously dazed confused, disoriented, whatever, why aren't they taking proper care of them? What, they didn't. What they claim, well, they claimed they didn't know what medication she had taken. She wasn't telling them what she had taken. That's all, that's all to me that's immaterial. You need to keep somebody like that in the medical facility where she can receive that proper type of care 24-7 in the event that she has seizures, or something like that. I mean, it just sounds but like a no, big comment to me. Right. And it was our responsibility to kind of like stay up at night to make sure that nothing happened to her. Wow. It's, it's, I don't even know what and, to say. And, and, and the, sad, the sad thing about it is they knew that we would stay up with her at night. Well, it's like these doctors and physicians behind the wall, they've turned the hypocritical oath, which says first I will do no harm into the hypocrite the Hippocratic oath into the hypocritical oath. That's exactly what they're doing. Yes. Because I mean they're Absolutely. they're not they're not treating these ladies like human beings. They're not, you know, getting in there and actually using the I mean the humanity, the empathy that a lot of these people, a lot a lot of these doctors go through with their training. I mean they they're taught bedside manner, you know, I mean where does that go? Just because somebody again, just because they come behind, you know, a set of bars or they get put in shackles mm-hmm. right clear accused that granted they shouldn't be there even if they haven't been convicted i'm fully behind that but even if they have where does our humanity go as a people you know the, you're well, trained. There, there is no there is no humanity in any type of a correctional setting that goes out the window um you know you can't even it's the same thing with compassion that goes out the window you're not going to survive if you show any ounce of empathy or any ounce of compassion because then you're going to be immediately thought of as being weak. Well, that, uh, well. And it's, they, you know, and they, um, they, they wonder why we have the highest you know, incarcerated population of any other nation in the world. They wonder why. Mm-hmm. Well, the most abusive, uh, without question. Uh, this is a problem. This is a epidemic, if you will, of abuse, a culture mm-hmm. of abuse that does not change because, as Kathy, you say, people simply do not care. The human spirit is not does not abide or live in America's prisons and jails in this country. And again, we have some good deputies out there. We got good correctional officers out there, but you have a lot of bad out there. And because these numbers yeah. will not grow on the level that they are. I'm going to play a clip for you real quick. Kathy, I'm going to get your thoughts on that. We're going to come back and continue this discussion. A Louisiana parish claims uh, that 
it shouldn't be held liable for the rape of a 14-year-old female inmate uh, because of a correctional officer that raped her when he was 40 years old. The reason why they think that they shouldn't be held liable is because it wasn't a forcible rape. In fact, let me read you what one anonymous employee at this Louisiana Parish said. Um, Vickers, Angelo Vickers, that's the name of the guy who raped this 14-year-old, could not have engaged in sexual relations within the walls of the detention center with the victim without cooperation from her. Vickers did not use force, violence, or intimidation when engaging in sexual relations. The fact that they were in a prison in detention facility and that he was the guard implies a little bit of coercion. And intimidation. Yeah. It doesn't seem like she was free to go. I, I can't believe anybody would make that argument with yeah. a straight face. Well, they made that argument uh, anonymously. So, uh, of course, they don't want to reveal their identity. They probably don't want to reveal their identity because this is beyond controversial. This is just straight wrong. And it's, it's a terrible, terrible thing to say. And it's beyond insulting for rape victims. She's 14 years old. This correctional officer was 40 years old at the time, and she was distressed. She had been abused herself by other people in the past. And, and, We're not, and yeah, we don't need to have this conversation. We don't. We don't. I mean, this is, by the way, there's no age of, 14 is not the age of consent in Louisiana or anywhere else in the country. It, it's, so it's, it's done. This is a clear case. It's wrong and illegal in 18 different ways. And even if she was an adult, the correctional officer can't go in under that situation. He has power over her. You know how we talk about how teachers have power over their students? And then, you know, you can get into the, you know, gray areas if the student is in college or if the student is 17 or the age of consent is 16. This isn't a gray area. One of them is the guard. The other one is the prisoner. One is 40. The other one's 14. We're not having this conversation. Massively and irreversibly guilty. And without question, what type of society have we come to be when that type of absurd explanation of rape is even put on the table as an excuse? A 40-year-old guard is talking about consensual sex with a 14-year-old prisoner. That, that, that's absolutely ridiculous right there. I, I don't care what type of consent, you know, the guard is trying to make up or anything like that, which God only knows they coerced that girl into saying or putting on record or just taking the guard statement. But whatever, whatever happened to statutory, regardless, I mean, she's not even old enough to give because she's 14 years old. That man's old enough to be her dad. Well, it's forbidden in an institution to have sexual relations with the inmates. Let alone a guard. But they're not liable. That's, that, that, that's what they're trying to say. They're not liable. This is, and the 14-year-old being, as they stated in that report, uh, physically uh, had been abused before. Uh, it, this is so overwhelming. Kathy, I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. How do you get into a culture? That is so embedded in our society that it is the thought process of our society to continue, and we haven't scratched the surface yet. This is what our fifth show on Voices Behind the Wall? Yep. And we haven't even began. 
to get into the abuse? Well, it's a mindset, and it starts early. And, you know, they're shown that, hey, this is what goes on here, and if everybody else is going to do it, I'm going to do it too, because there's no repercussions of my actions. Uh, We're going to be doing a show uh, under this series about juvenile abuse. The the juvenile, Mm -hmm. their voices. What are we going to find out there? What are we going to find there with our youngsters? And, you know, we talked before about the school-to-prison pipeline. Uh, People going straight from, youngsters going straight from school to prison, to detention centers. And then when they get there, they suffer horrific abuse. We're going to be dealing with that. We have so much to cover about the voices behind the wall. It is tonight, as we just touched a little bit on the juvenile issue, uh, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And, it's what heartbreaking. You- and, and you know what's getting scarier is not only the juveniles, but what about the female visitors who are coming into Rikers who are being assaulted as well? Exactly right. I think we touched on that uh, last week as we well. We briefly touched on that last week, and then right after we discussed it, there was a report that was aired on the uh, news about it. Um, right? And it's, you know, I said to myself, if they're doing it to the visitors, what are they doing it to the individuals to whom they're charged with watching? Um, the only good thing I can tell you about the adolescents on Rikers they will all be moved off by October 1st. Well, that's good to know. Um, they are going to um, juvenile facilities that will be run under the supervision of uh, Youth and Family Services. Um, and it's a totally indifferent in environment there. Um, the only downside is... Is it, once again, the officers are insisting that they must be a part of it. So the officers will be working there as officers. And that is where the huge debate is going on right now because it's a totally different department. It's a totally different department, but it's a totally different environment, and they don't need correctional officers there. Exactly because, right. Right, yeah. because certain of these juveniles who need much more a secure location, and if they are, if they are, do not have their case handled in family court, they will be going to Rikers. So there will be some juveniles there, especially the ones with the pending murder charges and things like that. They will yeah. still continue to be at, housed at Rikers. Well, but the kids my- who were in there for the Mister Mi- the misdemeanor stuff and some of the minor stuff, even though it, it's charged as a felony, they will be going to these other facilities. And it is the hope. And and mm-hmm. I'm going to say, this is what you got to, I got to say. If you bring correctional officers in that right. are partners in a new building, a new system, mm-hmm. that new system becomes corrupted and the abuse mm-hmm. used. This is, you said, you made a good point, Catherine, last week. You said, if this is not addressed, these officers are right. not held accountable. What you have, you can leave Rikers, but the environment and the culture in a different building is just the same. The abuse. And that's my concern. That's exactly my concern because they are taking the officers for these adolescent facilities and pulling them off of Rikers 
and putting them in with the adolescents in these new buildings. So we're still, you're, you're still keeping this, this culture going and you are sending them to a new facility where they're going to be able to get away with it. And what's worse is this new facility is set up so that they will be locked in individual cells with no bathroom facilities. On Rikers, they have a toilet and a sink in their room. Where they're going to does not have a toilet and a sink. It's not set up that way. So every time during the night, if they need to get out to use the toilet in that, they have to ring a bell and hope and pray that that officer will let them out. And in most cases, if they, you have dry cells is what they call them. Uh, well, right. But I'm not, I, and I know they're called dry cells and usually they use dry cells as a means of punishment. And that's not what these are for. These yep. are going to be dry cells because they just don't have the facilities. They don't have the bathroom facilities there. When I was in one particular facility, we had our rooms were considered dry cells as well. And it's just because they didn't have bathroom in, in our rooms, but we were allowed to open the door of our own free will and use the bathroom down the hall. Yeah, and that's the point I was making, that in, in a lot of cases here, even in Colorado, you go into a facility where there are dry cells, but your doors are not shut. And they had like what they call right. public the uh, bathrooms that you could get up through the night, go to the restroom if you needed to go, but to be locked down yeah, in a cell. Exactly. It, it is the most. And the, but the yeah, thing- I am familiar with the term of a dry cell. Um, and they do use that as, as a form of punishment. Say somebody swallows something and they want to find out what that is that that, that person swallowed. Sure. They will put them in a dry cell. No, absolutely. Yeah, but the issue. Until, the, all- un- until they pass it. Right, right. The but, issue also is that if they have to <clears throat> basically, in essence, be escorted to, uh, you know, restroom facilities by by the uh, by those correction officers, those guards, then they're basically mm-hmm. back in the hands of the same predators that they're that they're mm-hmm. claiming to uh, be protected from over at Rikers. If they take that same set right. of guards and they say, OK, well, now we're over here and we basically have our own encapsulated area. Uh, you know, we, we don't have, we have a, a new staff that the guards may be answering to, but if they're not used to, you know, what those guards are doing and uh, the abuse that's going on, then when they come to take them to the rescue the restroom and they're calling themselves, escorting them, uh, protecting them along the way, making sure they don't do anything. If they're doing it to visitors coming in and they're being, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and raped and and abused and all these things, then now they're even in a better position to get away with it as a guard that's escorting these uh, these inmates because they can they can come up with any anything they want to they can threaten those girls say if you don't do this uh, or that for me then you know I'm going to leave you here in this uh, in the in the restroom for I'm going to lock you in your or I'm going to lock you in your cell and you're just going to have to go to the bathroom in there and I don't care what you do. Yep. Exactly. This is sick. Um, and, and it's going to create a problem. But um, the thing is, is they did say that they were not going to mix the population. In other words, there are kids who are in these facilities who are currently under the supervision of the family courts. And 
they will not be mixing them because they're, they feel that they're like two different populations, and they definitely are. No, absolutely. Um, so they will they will be separated and then, gra- you know, gradually brought, you know, eased in with general population. And it's, you know, it's it's supposed to start October 1st, so let's see how it happens. So that works. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. Voices from behind the wall. Our focus for the last two shows has been the abuse of women uh, in our prisons. Uh, those that are dying in custody in our county jails. Without explanation, without reason, um, troubling heart-wrenching and i know this conversation sometimes gets a little tough very emotional for us as we listen and i'm sure emotional for kathy who has suffered and gone through so much uh, but now advocates on behalf of those that suffer from behind the wall and what she has seen truly has a story to tell and we're grateful kathy for you joining us tonight we're going to take a quick break i want to come back and get your closing thoughts as we continue to be the voice for the voiceless and voices from behind the wall This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. Ladies and gentlemen of America, as you have sat here tonight and listened to the horrific, not made-up stories, not some fiction, not some movie, not some production, real-life situations that are happening in this country to women, little girls, 
when I say little girls, teenagers that are in juvenile detention centers, make a note on your calendar next Tuesday. We'll be talking about the refusal of medical care, that abuse behind the wall, the voices of those who were in situations, and then the voice of those who have passed on as a result of the refusal of medical care and treatment that every person, every citizen is entitled to under the law, whether incarcerated or not, those are your civil rights. Next Thursday, we will deal with the voice of the children, juvenile detention, abuse in detention center. We touched on it very lightly tonight, but that'll be next Thursday, the voices of the children crying from behind the wall. We're going to get into the detention centers, uh, those that end up leaving detention centers, going to foster care, many times caught up in human trafficking as a result of the abuse seen behind the wall. We're going to address those issues. We're so happy, again, honored to have Kathy Morris, who's given such a clear picture for us. And, Kathy, I can't begin to tell you thank you enough and the AJC radio team and our organization for what you are doing uh, to be the voice. I can say sorry all day long, and I'm, I, in my heart, really am sorry for the things you have endured, but you have become a voice uh, in this hour to tell the stories uh, and the things that you have seen, I think hopefully will make a difference and touch the lives of people across this nation. And uh, your closing thoughts as we get ready to come to an end to another show that's, that's gone so quickly, but yet the information has been so relevant to to what we're talking about here tonight. I think the key takeaway should be that I have not forgotten about the women and the girls that I was detained with, um, that I was incarcerated with, um, and that I, I worked with once I was released. I will never forget about them, and I'm going to make sure that their stories are known, that the public is made aware of what they, they go through. Um, no, absolutely. And, and that's, and that's, you know, it, it's even critical for us to educate the population on the horrors of what goes on. And I want you to know you're, you're now a regular, uh, here on AJ's <laughs> radio. We, we could have just pulled up here and gave you a seat here. Uh, but, but, but you've joined us so many times. Listen, you're welcome here. We're going to be talking about this. Feel free to dial in any time uh, and share. Yeah. We want to hear um, okay. I would love to, you know, every, every week, once a week, I'd love to come back and give you my viewpoint on whatever you're talking about. And we'll, we're going to be, we'll definitely save a seat for you here at the table. Uh, to have <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for your um, voice. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me again tonight. Um, And I want to thank you for the work that you do and for spreading the word. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. And uh, you have a friend here at AJC Radio and the Just Cause organization. We'll look for you next week, and uh, I'll keep you abreast on what our topics are. uh, Please do that. I promise I will do that. Okay. Yeah, one of the one thing I just if we do have a couple seconds, I just want to mention there there has been a recent spate of violence out on Rikers right now, officer on detainees and detainees on officers, and things are getting to be a boiling point out there right now. And and my concern is the type of retaliation that the officers are going to take. So I'm sure that we will be hearing about this. We're hearing about it now. 
in the New York area, like on a daily basis. Um, and we're going to continue to hear about it for a while. So I, I'd like to say a prayer for those brothers who are in Rikers to hold your head high and think twice before you react. Absolutely. Good advice without question. Uh, yeah, don't, 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 you know, don't be reactive, be proactive. Absolutely. And we're going to do our best to, uh, to work with you, Kathy, and, and, and the voice, mm-hmm. the more voice you have, the more power that comes with Yeah. Uh, we're going to raise our voices. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. You uh, enjoy we- the rest of yours. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. You too, Kathy. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Take care. And there's Kathy Morris. I'll tell you what, always brings a clear perspective uh, uh, to what's going on. And uh, I want to go around here. Samson, what do you take away from this series, The Women, uh, The Abuse of the Women? What do you take from tonight's show? And I, I just think that pe- more people need to be informed and involved. I mean, throughout this whole thing, it's been very eye opening to me um, regarding just the lack of care, respect, and just humanity that's going on. And I think that the more people we inform, the more people we reach to all of our listeners that are out there, speak up. You know, we're not going to get anything solved by being quiet. Absolutely. William? You know, this is, uh, it's really sad, but it's needful. We need to open our eyes to this situation. I mean, it's just a new form of slavery, the way I look at it. They're just incarcerating and mistreating people at will. Dennis? Push for accountability. We have to push for accountability make sure that those that uh, the perpetrators are held accountable. Cliff? Yeah, you want to uh, not only be informed, but, you know, speak up. Use your voice. Use your vote. Uh, let your let your local officials and, and uh, lawmakers know exactly how you feel about this situation. Get out there on social media. Push that prison reform. There's a little bit of it going on in Congress, but we need to really get this uh, up and running. Make make noise out there, people. Otherwise, this could be you or one of your family members experiencing the type of atrocities we talked about tonight. Absolutely right. Ladies and gentlemen, go to change.org and just type in Voices Behind the Wall. You'll see the petition there and uh, sign that petition. Tell everybody out there to sign that petition as we push for members of Congress to incorporate prison reform now because the longer we wait, the more body bags are getting filled across this nation. And it's important that we get involved uh, please tell everybody to tune in uh, next Tuesday, dealing with the refusal of medical treatment, uh, which is every person's right. But behind the wall, we're going to hear the voices crying for something as simple that we may take for granted, and that's medical care and medical treatment. Uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, this is something that we must continue to push. So we want to continue to, to reach out and be the voice for the voiceless, ladies and gentlemen, as the series continues, Voices from Behind the Wall. Good night, America. See you next time. It's unacceptable, and we want to make our voices heard. Stephen Corset. She is a person just like me who probably had goals and aspirations. And Kari Lucas. The pair didn't know Joyce Cornell, but when they recently heard what happened to the 50-year-old... There's a time where you have to finally say... I'm drawing the line here, and I won't stand for this anymore. They wanted to do something. This story starts here, last July, at Roper St. Francis. Cornell was being treated for a stomach illness. The next day at the hospital, she was arrested on a warrant for shoplifting. 
after being medically discharged and taken to the Charleston County Jail. 27 hours later, though, she was dead. Four documents filed this week allege Cornell vomited through the night. The autopsy report shows she died from gastroenteritis, but the lawyer's expert says, quote, Miss Cornell died because she was deprived of water. She was too sick to tolerate the dehydration. According to the Sheriff's Department, staff saw her at 2.12 p.m. for a medical check. She was found unresponsive three hours later. It's bigger than just this incident. Back with Corson and Lucas, they're planning a peaceful march for Friday here at Marion Square. They hope to educate people on Cornell's story and in turn create change. They need to have a better vetting of the medical staff there, a better vetting of the officers who are supposed to be taking care of citizens. Police are meant to protect and what have they done for Joyce? What have they done for Joyce?